Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Today we're talking about Beatitudes, so try to get back in that frame of mind if you can. And it's so funny because last fall I went to the, you know, the Mount of the Beatitudes, this beautiful spot overlooking the Sea of Galilee where it's thought tradition holds that Jesus gave his famous Sermon on the Mount, which began with you know, these nine statements, the Beatitudes, right? And, and so in my head I can picture what the Beatitudes look like. And, you know, the crowd he was preaching to, filled with humble fishermen and farmers and and people, you know, from the surrounding villages that were so hungry for God that they would climb up the mountain to listen to Jesus. And I'm just aware, it looks a little bit different for me with a spaceship set behind me for VBS. So just use your imagination this morning as I talk about the Beatitudes. And let me explain why we're talking about the Beatitudes. Because we've been talking for the last month about the art of blessing, what it means to bless bless others. And just to repeat it, in case this is your first Sunday with us, we're relying on John Ortberg's definition, which I love. He says, blessing is the projection of good into someone else's life. That's, that's what it means when you bless, that you want good for someone else in your whole being, you know, your heart, mind, soul, everything is aligned for their well-being before God. That's what it means to bless someone. And we've talked about the blessing of mothers and the blessing of our country and the blessings of God, God's peace and grace and provision and guidance. But the one thing we haven't yet acknowledged or talked about is those seasons in life where we don't feel blessed at all. Because every one of us, if we haven't had one before, we will at some point in our journey experience a season of life where it's difficult to find God's blessings where we feel more cursed than blessed. And, and this is why I wanted to turn to the Beatitudes today, because in the Beatitudes, Jesus gives us a picture of blessings that is not just about wealth and bounty and success, but rather Jesus calls attention to God's care and provision for those who are going through difficulty, those who are you know, mourning or persecuted. And, and he gives us in this, picture, you know, in this passage a picture of blessing that is different from how the world defines blessing. And we can know, because of the promise of the Beatitudes, 
that even when we aren't experiencing bounty in our lives, even in those moments, we can still understand ourselves as blessed. So let's kind of dive into the Beatitudes. And let me say this at the very beginning, that Jesus didn't create this form of blessed are. Like this is a, a well-worn form that Jesus uses, a, a literary form. It, it, scholars call it makarisms, uh, from the Greek word makarios. Makarios in Greek means happy or blessed. So every single one of these statements that Jesus gives at the beginning of the Beatitudes, the first word is makarios, 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 blessed, blessed, blessed. It means, you know, it, it can mean not just happy, but it can mean fortunate, well off in a privileged situation. And this form of pronouncing blessings, it exists throughout ancient literature and especially in scripture. You see it in Psalms, you see it in, you know, in, in the prophets, you see it in wisdom literature. Let me give you a couple examples. So from the Psalms, the very first Psalm, the very first word in the books of Psalms begins with this, happy are those, blessed are those, it's a makarism, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They're like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. It's a beautiful picture of blessing that begins with a phrase, blessed are those. And prophets, you, they, they often use this as well. I'm going to take an example from Isaiah. Isaiah 30 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. And here it is. Blessed are those who wait for him. Again, a picture of blessing that ends with a mockerism. Blessed are those who wait for him. The place they show up the most often, though, is in wisdom literature. And books like the book of Proverbs that kind of give healthy, practical advice on how to live a good life, how to be blessed. And so the example I want to give, though, is not from the book of Proverbs, but from another book of wisdom literature called Sirach. Sirach was written in the intertestamental period between, you know, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 175 BC. And so here's from the book of Sirach. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. So, ten people he's about to bless here. So, you can count them with me. Number one, a man who can rejoice in his children. Number two, a man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Yes, wouldn't that be nice to see all your foes <laughs> fall down? Three, a man, happy the man who lives with a sensible wife. Can I get an amen out there? Four, and the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. I don't know what that one means, but I'm assuming they don't belong in a yoke together. So, five, happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue. Six, or the one who has not served an inferior. If you have a bad boss, you know what he's talking about there. Seven, happy the one who finds a friend. Eight, the one who speaks to attentive listeners. So, I'm blessed this morning because you're all very attentive, I can see. Nine, how great is the one who finds wisdom? Ten, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. So there's a list of ten blessings, makarisms. You see what I'm saying? Like this is a well-known formula that people had in those days in that literature. And so when Jesus begins his famous Sermon on the Mount with a list of blessings... 
people think they know, you know, they knew what to expect. Oh, he's doing mockerisms. He's doing blessings. We're about to get a list of all the ways that we can know if we follow these rules, we'll live a happy and blessed life. They're, they're expecting practical advice, except that's not what Jesus does at all. He doesn't talk about men with sensible wives or obedient children. He doesn't talk about living to see the downfall of your foes. He doesn't talk about, you know, he doesn't paint a picture of prosperity, of a tree, you know, growing and blooming and, and its leaves don't wither and all they do, they prosper. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he gives us a list of people that we would not consider blessed at all. The poor in spirit those who mourn, the meek, hungry and thirsty, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, even the persecuted. He says, these people are blessed, Macarios. But that's so strange. It's a strange list of blessing because we wouldn't think of these people as happy, as privileged, as in a fortunate situation, well off. Those aren't words that we would use to describe this category of people. But Jesus says, that's who is blessed. Now, there's some verbs you have to kind of pay attention to here. Because first, there's a formula of Jesus. First, he says, blessed are, present tense, for they will be. So there's always kind of like a, here's the current reality. But Jesus is pointing to a future reality that will take place, a reward that is coming for them. So let's kind of list them out. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are the mournful, he promises them comfort. And to the meek, he, he promises the earth, which is so interesting, because that's not who we think of inheriting the earth. The people that get the earth are the strong, the forceful, the aggressive, not the meek. But Jesus says they'll inherit the earth. The hungry and thirsty, they'll be filled. The merciful will receive mercy. The pure in heart will get to see God. And the peacemakers will be called children of God. And lastly, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what do you notice when you look at this list? One of the things that jumps off the board to me is that there's one that gets repeated twice, both at the first and at the last. Jesus promises the kingdom of heaven. And to me, this tells me something. The, the, these, the, you know, the kingdom of heaven, it forms a bracket around these, pro, you know, these promises. It's as if everything between those two statements is descriptive of what life within the kingdom of heaven is like. Within the kingdom of heaven, we'll know comfort, we'll know mercy. The kingdom of heaven will cover all the earth and we'll know satisfaction. Our deepest hungers and you know, thirst will be filled. And not only that, we'll get to see God. And we will be called children of God. We'll know God as our Father. All that is what the kingdom of heaven will one day be like. In other words, we're meant to understand all of these promises holistically as the promise of heaven. And if that's the case, 
then I would make the argument that we're supposed to understand all these blessings holistically as well. That Jesus is not promising individual rewards to eight different categories of people, but rather Jesus is giving us a list of kingdom values. He's describing the kind of community, the kind of people whom God is looking to bless. He's calling, he's describing the kind of community that he wants to follow in his name. Jesus says he's looking for a community where people are poor in spirit, where they're humble, not arrogant. He's looking for a place place where people are meek, not proud and arrogant, but gentle. He's looking for places where people are mournful, where they mourn for their sins, they lament the brokenness of the world, where they're merciful to those who are broken, where they hunger and thirst for righteousness, justice, not just self-righteousness, but justice, but meanwhile, seeking the purity of heart and seeking to live in peace with others and, and even willing to go the distance of being persecuted for the sake of the kingdom. That's the kind of community God is looking for. Jesus is giving us a picture of the community of faith that will follow in his name. This is what it looks like. And not only is Jesus describing the behaviors, the postures that he wants us to take to one another in the world, Jesus is also giving us a picture of God. You know, he's helping us understand who God is. What, What picture of God is painted in this passage? It's a God who loves to bless. And not just bless the wealthy, and not just bless the, you know, the people in control, the powerful and the influential of the world. That's not who God is looking to bless. God is looking to bless the lowly and broken in spirit. And he's looking to bless those who are humble and gentle and making peace in the world. God is, God is, God is looking to upend the existing strata of the world so that those who are on the bottom somehow end up on top in God's economy. Jesus is painting a picture of God who's going to turn the world upside down with his blessings. And finally, I think Jesus is painting a picture of himself, of the kind of person, the kind of Messiah he's going to be. For all the Beatitudes ultimately point their way back to Jesus. Who else ministered more to the poor and the mournful than Jesus? That was where his heartbeat was. Caring and reaching out to those who were broken, those who were felt far from God. The meek, Jesus said, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for I am gentle and humble in spirit and you will find rest for your souls. Hunger and thirst, Jesus hungered and thirst for God's righteousness. Remember in the wilderness when the devil tempted him to turn these stones to bread and what did he say? For my bread is to do the will of my Father. That's what I'm hungry for. The merciful, that even on the cross, Jesus would pray forgiveness for those who were making fun of him, who were abjuring him, who were, who were cursing his name. He was pure in heart. He knew no sin. He made peace through the cross. He was persecuted, abandoned, betrayed, and yet faithfully laid his life down 
for the kingdom that was before him. You see what I'm getting at? In every possible way, Jesus embodied the Beatitudes. And so it was the delight of the Father to give to him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so scripture proclaims that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, which isn't so much about a location as it much is a position of authority and trust. And he's given Jesus a name that above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, Jesus is in a position where he can fulfill the promises of the Beatitudes, where he can pass on to his followers the kingdom of heaven. Those who practice the Beatitudes the way that he taught them. See what I'm saying is that we, Jesus embodied the Beatitudes and then we as his followers are invited to embody the Beatitudes in our hearts, in our lives, and in our communal life together. And when we do this together, we receive the gifts of the kingdom. We receive comfort and mercy. We receive the earth, not as something to lord over, but rather something to serve and steward with gladness. We'll be filled. Our deepest hungers and thirst filled in a way we could never know are satisfied. In Jesus, we see God. In Jesus, we receive uh, the gift of becoming children of God. Through Jesus, we receive all the gifts of the kingdom of heaven. For by his mercy, all of these things have been fulfilled in him. What I'm getting at is this. This is the kind of community Jesus calls us to be. And so if you are here this morning and you feel poor in spirit, you feel kind of empty, you're not sure where God is, guess what? You're in the right place because that's what the community of God is for. If you're here in this place and you're feeling mournful, mournful about something happening in the world, mournful something happening in your life, you've experienced a recent loss and you don't know what to do with it, you're in the right place. If you're in this place and you're struggling to find peace, you're struggling to forgive or to make peace, this is it. You're in the right place because this is where the peacemakers are. If you're in this place because you're feeling persecuted and alone, you're not alone. We're here together. If you're in any of those places, which I know none of us wants to be in, but when we're in those places, guess what? In those moments, we are near to the heart of God. And we can know his blessing. If you are in a place right now where you're struggling to name the blessings of God, I hope you can cling to these words and know that you are blessed. Cling to the will be to know that someday the world will be turned upside down. To be remade into to match the will and the heart of the Father. And someday we'll know the blessings of his grace and mercy in a way that we could never experience for ours is the kingdom of heaven. Praise be to Jesus. But I wanna give you a hope just beyond someday will be. Because I, I kind of generalized early when I probably shouldn't have. 
I said there's two operative verbs. There's the are and there's the will be. Like here's present reality and here's a future reality, except this wasn't complete. Because actually within the Beatitudes, there are two phrases that do not have the verbs will be. Can you name them? I'll give you a hint. I've already circled them. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is, not will be, is the kingdom of heaven. Which tells me, yes, there will be. There will be a kingdom of heaven different from anything we've ever known and experienced in this life. And the blessing and peace of that day will be beyond anything we can understand. But there's also an is, which tells me we can know, even in the present here and now, even in times of distress, we can know God's presence and favor and blessing upon us. There is this promise that God is, God's blessings are for then, but also for the here and now. And so I want to close by rereading the Beatitudes. But I'm going to read them from the message translation, which is kind of a paraphrase. My experience in reading these, I, I, I like how Eugene Peterson reframes them. And my hope is you can hear the words in a new way, and you can hear the blessing that is promised therein. Jesus said, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed. Every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. And so with this picture of what God's blessings are and how we can know them in our lives, my word to you is be blessed. Be blessed. Let us in our lives and in our communities embody the life that Jesus calls us to live, that we might know his blessings and his rewards, both in the here and in the life to come. Amen.